Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, I have the privilege today of having a conversation with Dr. Diana Lynn Severance. Diana Severance is the director of the Dunham Bible Museum, which is located at Houston Baptist University in Houston, Texas. She's a wonderful historian. Uh, She earned a Ph.D. in history from Rice University, which is also in Houston. In the past, she has taught for us here at Beeson Divinity School a course on women in Christian history, and she's taught at a number of other schools and seminaries as well. So, Diana, it's an honor to talk to you today on the Beeson Podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you. It's a privilege to be here. Now, I think the first time we met uh, was your husband, who's no longer living, Gordon Severance, and he and you authored together a book called Against the Gates of Hell, The Life and Times of Henry T. Perry, who was a Christian missionary in the Muslim world, in Turkey, uh, in the early part of the 20th century. Tell us a little bit about that book and how you got into it, what you were trying to do with it. It's a fascinating story to me. Well, actually, the, the book was a biography of Gordon's grandfather, and we had discovered his diaries. He was a missionary to Turkey from 1866 to 1913. And one of the diaries had been given to... Gordon's mom, but then in the back of it, we found a receipt for 40-something other diaries that were with the American Board Archives at Harvard. So we went to Harvard, went to the archives, and found this. He is such a godly man. As we read through him, uh, his descriptions of, of everyday life were just always focusing on the Lord and how to serve him. But he was in Turkey from 1866 to 1913, and he was there during the, not the 1915 massacres, but the Armenian massacres in the 1890s, and did a lot of relief in in helping the the people there. That's an era of church history I think we don't often in the West know as much about as we should. And of course, Turkey is this great historic country with places like Ephesus that go right back to New Testament times. So to read about his life and his courage in the midst of that Armenian massacre that killed so many, many people— so much in there that's reflected today when we look at the Islamic movement that actually you could see in the in the end of the nineteenth century. Foreshadowing events that are happening all right. around us in the world. I think so too. Now what did you do your PhD on at Rice University? <laughs> the origins of medieval demonology. Oh my goodness. You're a Renaissance woman. <laughs> Not, so I didn't do a lot on medieval demonology, but what was the origins? What, yeah. what fed into their ideas? So you have been tracing kind of the history, the genetic history of ideas and practices, beliefs, and how they've impacted the Christian faith through the centuries. Right. Which uh, makes you a perfect person to uh, write the books uh, that you've turned to lately, which have a particular focus, uh, not so much on uh, the Turkish situation nor on demons, but actually <laughs> on women, and we want to make that distinction very clear. You have written yes, some. Very clear. <laughs> you, you have written some wonderful books that I would call encouragement to everybody, not just to women, but also to men, to learn from the example of women in the 
history of the church. And the one we want to focus on today on the podcast is your most recent book called Her Story, Her Hyphen Story, 366 Devotions from 21 Centuries of the Christian Church. But before we get to that book, let me ask you to say a little bit about some of your other writings in this in this vein. A Chord of Three Strands, which is a wonderful collection of Christian love letters. And another book called yes. Feminine Threads, Women in the Tapestry of Christian History, which is a narrative story. Say a little bit about those two books, and then we'll get to the one, her story. Okay. Court of Three Strands is based upon Ecclesiastes, uh, which says a court of three strands is not easily broken. And the idea behind it is that you have the husband, the wife, and the Lord united together. And in my historical studies, I came across letters um between a lot of different leaders in, in Christianity that were their love letters to their wives or vice versa. And so the it's an edited book of their works. So we have the letters of John Newton to his wife and John Winthrop, the founder of Massachusetts, and his wife. Um, Charles, Charles Spurgeon is another um, beautiful moving letter from um, Susanna Christopher Love yeah. who was martyred but a, a, a beautiful letter looking to eternity uh, by his wife um, so it's what's fascinating about, about the letters is they're, they're beautiful but they're spiritual perspective and there was there were some themes that went throughout all of them I mean these people did not know each other uh, Stonewall Jackson Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm. they, they did not know each other, but yet there's a theme that goes throughout. Like, all of them realized that the love that they had for the other person was God's special gift. All of them felt like they were unworthy of the other person. There was a great humility uh, in, in their letters. And all of them felt like because God had given them this special gift of, of love for each other, they needed to serve him even more. Mm. So it was interesting to find those themes that ran throughout all of the letters. You know, I don't know when we're going to play this podcast, but this would be a wonderful Valentine's Day book. If any of <laughs> our listeners out there are looking for such a gift, I, I would recommend this very strong. It's beautifully done and very well chosen. And then Feminine Threads is a narrative history of women in Christian history. Um, so it's just like your normal history narrative, to try to carry the themes of what women have done and some key figures in Christian history throughout uh, the church. Yes. And and that actually, I believe, was the topic of uh, the course you taught for us here at Beeson Divinity School. Yes, yes. In fact, I taught at Southeastern, and it's kind of interesting. I was asked to teach a course in women's and Christian's history, and I didn't want to do it mm. because when I was in just getting my PhD, I had been asked to help set up a women's history study program at another university, and I didn't want to do that because it, it seemed like an agenda-driven course <laughs> and a project, and I, I wanted to do real history. I didn't want to do this skewed history. <laughs> so I wasn't really interested in women in Christian history either. So Gordon says, no, you need to do that. So I did. And as I did, I found that there was not any really good, straightforward history of women in Christian history. There was a lot of feminists from a particular perspective, but not just a general 
history. And so after teaching the court several times, then I wrote the book. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great book. I strongly recommend it. So you weren't interested in, in kind of ideology, so to say, but no. really the story and the history of women, how they have functioned and served the cause of Christ through the centuries. That's what you did and did it, right, did right. it so well. Well, I want to get to the book that we're talking about today called Her Story, 366 Devotions from 21 Centuries of the Christian Church. And I just told you before we went on the air that uh, I thought this was a great idea for the book. And you said it wasn't your idea, that, <laughs> that you were asked by our, our friends who, who uh, have this wonderful publishing house in Scotland called Christian Focus Publications. We think so highly of them, Mr. William McKenzie and the whole family. And it was their yeah. idea. They pitched this idea to you, and you picked up on it and did a great job pulling it off. It's still a great idea, a devotion a devotion a day. It is a great idea. And it's interestingly, they, they broached this idea to me. Uh, when Gordon was, was ill, he had ALS and was not doing well. And uh, it's probably about a month before he died. And... Gordon says, you need to do that. And so I started on it after he was gone. And it was it was a godsend that I had that major research project and writing project to work on after he, he was no longer with us. Yeah, I didn't know that. So in a way, this is a tribute to him, to Gordon Severance, yes. as well as a great service to the whole church. Well, I want to I want to kind of walk through this book. I'm, you know, 366 devotions, one for every day of the year, and the extra day is for leap year, right? That's right. We can't leave that out because there are years no. where we have 366 days. You need a <laughs> devotion on that day, and you've given us one. Now, we don't possibly have time to talk about all of these women, some of whom are very famous, some of whom are not well known at all. But they're fascinating stories, and you've been able to kind of give us a capsule biography and some very, very good pointers on each one of them. I want to mention a few. You uh, you divided it kind of chronologically, starting with the New Testament and coming right down into our own day. So I'm just going to mention a few uh, people in each of these eras or epochs of Christian history, and you can tell us why you chose them, what you had to say about them. Or anything else you want to add, but starting in the New okay. Testament, you 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 know you begin um, very early with Mary, the mother of Jesus, certainly the most famous woman probably ever in the history of the Christian faith, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, an obvious question might be: Why should Protestant evangelicals be concerned about Mary? We know the Roman Catholics have a view of Mary. We know the Eastern Orthodox uh, hold Mary in high esteem. Uh, the only time Mary shows up in most of our evangelical churches is for the Christmas pageant. But you you seem to bring out some deeper things about her. Well, Mary um, must have had something going for her. Uh, the Lord chose her to be uh, the mother of Jesus, and she was a woman consumed with the Scripture. Mm. And interestingly, um, in a lot of medieval art, when they ha they show Mary, like when the, an angel is coming to announce the birth to her, um, she is studying the Scripture. And if you read Mary's Magnificat in Luke, it is just full of scriptural allusions and scriptural quotations. So she was a man, uh, a woman deeply um, imbued with the scriptures and certainly to be respected. You know, I think two of the great statements in all of the Bible come from the lips of Mary. And one of them is when she says in response to the Annunciation, let it be unto me according to your word. 
What a great right. statement. And then in the Gospel of John uh, about the changing of the water, uh, she says to the servants, whatever Jesus says to you, do it. Now, those are two terrific right. statements about discipleship and surrender to God. So thank you for including her. Let me ask you to talk about Lydia. She is She's January 7, the first European convert. Say something about Lydia. Well, that uh, Lydia was a dyer of purple, and she was in Philippi. And when Paul went to Philippi, he could not find a synagogue there, so he went out to the river where people would would meet for worship, and he met met a group of women there. And she became um, Paul's first convert in in Europe, and became very hospitable towards the church. The church begins to meet in her house. And um, hospitality is one of the themes that you find uh, in, in women's history very, very often. And and she was she was something of a businesswoman, right, Lydia? Yes, she was a businesswoman, a mm-hmm. seller of purple, and so she she had a public role and brought that into her her, her Christian commitment and and drew others. I'll just say that Lydia is a very special lady in my my life. My husband and I met on a tour of the early church that we met in Ephesus, and we got acquainted in Philippi. And one of the places we really liked was um, everybody else was going into the church at Philippi, and both of us independently just went out to the stream because this was where Paul baptized Lydia. And the very first present Gordon ever gave me after we had decided to be married was an amethyst purple ring in memory of Lydia the dyer of purple, and inside he put the inscription, 1 Corinthians 2.9, the verse that says, God is not seen or ear heard, it's entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared for those who love him. What a beautiful so, story. Lydia and the yeah. dyer of purple is kind of Very special to you, to me. of course, absolutely. <laughs> uh, going into the early church a little bit, uh, one of the characters for January the 12th, is a person we we see all the time here at Beeson, Perpetua, because she's represented in the dome, the great cloud of witnesses in the dome oh. of, of Hodges Chapel. She and Felicitas, her servant girl, are both up there. The first, chronologically, the first of the 16 characters that we have visually represented. So tell us about Perpetua. Well, Perpetua was from a very respectable family. She had a little baby, uh, a son, and... She was a Christian, and that was illegal at the time. She was asked to offer sacrifice to the emperor. She would not do so, and she was put in prison for that. She says, I am a Christian. I can't be called anything else but a Christian. And she made the the reference, like, if you take a pot, you can't say it's anything else but a pot. And she said, I'm a Christian. I cannot change what my faith is. So she was imprisoned in a dungeon and eventually executed for her faith. But she had beautiful conviction and peace of her trust in the Lord and not wavering from the truth throughout her period. And so she she represents martyrs. There are so many women and even children, boys and girls, who have given right. their lives for Jesus Christ through the centuries. And and she's uh, that's why she's in our dome. She represents that strong commitment, even uh, faithful unto death in the early church. And we so often today are so easily compromise our faith 
in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and yet the martyrs, of course, do not. They are willing to stand strong for the truth that is in Christ. Yeah. Another figure from the early church, uh, her, her name starts with the P2, Paula. That's a very common name in, in our uh, language, Paula, the feminine form of Paul. There was a Paula uh, in Rome who lived from 347 to 404, who was a very close friend and supporter of St. Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin. And you have a chapter on her, January 21, Paula, lover of Scripture. Can you tell us about her? She uh, was a very wealthy woman, and she is going to use her wealth to support Jerome. She will develop kind of scriptoriums to, because they didn't have printing presses back then, so they have scriptoriums to uh, provide scriptures for others, to collect biblical manuscripts for Jerome, and she's constantly interested in in studying the scriptures. When uh, Jerome goes to the Holy Land, she goes with him and supports his ministry there. So she uses her wealth to almost have a Bible society and to support the translation of of the scriptures and the study of the scriptures by others. The Roman Bible Society, founded by Paula. Absolutely right, (laughs) in the early church. And one of the things I like about your book, not only do you give us this kind of biography in capsule form, one for every day of the year of these great women, but you also have a Bible verse. Each, Each woman is assigned a verse that kind of features an aspect of their life. And for Paula... The lover of Scripture, you have chosen Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. That wonderful passage, where we read all Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, I, this is really a devotional work you're doing. You want people to be anchored in the Scripture and to be reminded right. through these Bible verses. And what? So the scripture that is included with each person might be a scripture that was particularly important to them at some point in their life, or it could just be a scripture reflecting something about the kind of person that they were. And what I found as I was working through this, those scriptures also can become a prayer for yourself as you're reading through this, a prayer that this particular truth from God's Word can be reflected in your life as well. Now, in the Middle Ages, um, you know, the role of women in the Middle Ages, who, who could you choose? You actually have a number of medieval women. I just want to ask you about Hilda. Hilda was the abbess of Whitby, a very important religious foundation in England. We read about her in Venerable Bede's Ecclesiastical History of the English Nation. Why did you choose Hilda, the abbess of Whitby? Um, she was very important in supporting others in their study of, of the scriptures. And um, she was of, of noble birth, and she was able to encourage others in their, their scriptural studies as well. And, you know, Bede tells us that uh, everybody who knew Hilda called her mother because she was such a pious and graceful woman and was right. always, always pointing people uh, to the gospel and to Christ. Well, one of the things that was interesting to me during this particular period, as the Germanic tribes were still trying to organize into, into various nations, is how many of the queens were important 
in bringing their husbands to faith in Christ. And um, even the, the Bishop of Rome, we've got some letters that they wrote to different queens, encouraging them from 1 Peter 3 on how to bring their husbands around to faith in Christ. So I thought that was an interesting side that I had not known about before. Wonderful. Now, I learned a lot from reading your book, including being introduced some, to some characters I have to say I had never heard of. And one of them, I'm not even sure how to pronounce her name, but I'm going to try. She's the February 5 woman, Hrotsvit. Hrotsvit. <laughs> did I get that right? The first Christian playwright. How in the world did you ever find out about her? She was uh, one of the early dramatists and playwrights, and she wrote plays based upon um, early church history. So she it was writing plays was a way of bringing early church history and things that had happened in the early church to the present present court. Yeah. So these these women who have been making these contributions to literature, to uh, religious life, to prayer, uh, to Bible study, all through the century, kind of beneath the surface. They're not written about prominently in any of our literature. So you've done a real service, I think, to bring them out and uh, give them a, a new airing in your book. One of the ladies that I just really fell in love with was the one uh, before Hrotsvit, uh, and I'm not sure how to pronounce her name either, Duoda. Yeah. She was. She lived just right after the time of Charlemagne, and her son was held hostage for a time, uh, her adolescent son, and she was afraid that he would be in a crowd, that he would, wasn't going to get proper instruction. So she wrote out a manual of instruction for him, um, telling him about the Trinity, telling him about virtue and vice, telling him how to pray and read the Psalms. And it's an instruction manual, like a mom teaching her son mm. back from the ninth century. Isn't that great? And it's beautiful. It is wonderful. Yeah. Now, you know, I'm a special student of the Reformation, and you have a number of Reformation women in here. I could spend the whole podcast just talking with you about them, but I want (laughs) to, I want to mention two of them, have you comment, two Katarinas, two Catherines. Katharina Luther, of course, or who was the wife of Martin Luther, and Katharina Zell, who was actually married at different times to several reformers. They kept dying on her. She outlived them all. Uh, But she, in her own right, was a terrific reformer in the city of Strasbourg. So begin with Katharina Luther, Catherine von Bora, uh, the wife of Martin Luther, and then we'll go to Catherine Zell. Well, just the very fact that Martin Luther married was revolutionary in itself, and, and the marriage of these various reformers. Um, and Martin Luther and, and Katie together, she was a former nun who, once she had learned about the truth of the Reformation teachings, left the nunnery. And they tried to match her up with different people, and she wasn't interested in any of them. She said, if, I, if I'm going to marry anybody, I'm going to marry Luther. And that's what ended up happening. And she was a tremendous encouragers, support for him, taking care of him through his various illnesses, and a, a, a wonderful economist as far as taking care of their, their needs for their their family. And the life that they had together became an example of what Christian marriage is, is like. And Catherine Zell? Catherine Zell 
was really important during the time of persecution in Strasbourg in providing refuge for persecuted Protestants and encouragement for them. She would encourage women with the scripture to undergo the sufferings that they were undergoing and to make sure that they kept their focus on on Christ throughout. You know, she also had a great compassion for the Anabaptists. These were the persecuted, many of them persecuted by the Protestants and Catholics alike. Right. And mm-hmm. she cared for them and nurtured them, nursed them when when they were under duress. So she's an outstanding. She wrote also commentaries on some of the Psalms. So she's a remarkable woman. That We need to know more about her. The Church Mother of Strasbourg, she's called. Right. Now we go into the Puritan period. You have so many. I, you know, it's interesting. The, the closer we get to the present, the more women you include. I guess it's easier, right? We know more about them. We, the, the sources are there. We, we, have, um, we, we have the sources. I'm sure there are many more in the earlier periods, but it's very difficult to find the information. Know who they are. Well, one, one of uh, my favorite characters is John Bunyan, and his wife was Elizabeth Bunyan. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about her. Um, she was very faithful and uh, Supporting him during his time in prison and encouraging him throughout throughout his imprisonment and his work for the Lord. And they had a daughter, right, Mary? Who, right, she was blind. Also blind, and, and she would come and um, visit would, her but father. She was able to find her way to the prison to bring support to her dad during during that time. I'm going into the period of reform and revival. You have a number of outstanding women here, some of whom are very famous, others not so much. But let me ask you to comment on Sarah Edwards, who was the wife, of course, of the great and famous Jonathan Edwards. Well, you know, it's beautiful when, starting at the end, I guess, when Jonathan Edwards died. Uh, he he was dying away from from his wife, and his last words were of her. And he says that our union, um, our uncommon union, which is spiritual, is undoubtedly eternal. And their their closeness and union with the Lord is um, a beautiful example of Christian marriage. And their children are raised in in a Christian home and follow in their Christian faith and their descendants. And there's a whole study of Edward's descendants that shows the uh, strong Christian faith that is imbued into that particular family. But they had a very close uh, relationship. They always spent a lot of time each day uh, walking together, talking together over the things that Jonathan had been studying. It was a beautiful relationship they had. I believe someone wrote a biography of her called Marriage to a Difficult Man. Right. And right. I, no doubt that's true. I mean, Jonathan Edwards was a great, great, maybe the greatest theologian America has ever produced, but his life had some uh, sharp turns in it as well, and she stood with right. him through all of that. Well, I've got to ask you about Phyllis Wheatley. She's a name that you can sometimes see in like an anthology of literature because she was a poet, the first African-American female poet and a wonderful Christian witness. Say something about Phyllis Wheatley. Well, she was brought to America from Africa as a slave, and she was um, 
bought by a family, the Wheatleys, in Boston, who educated her. The children uh, taught her, and she became well-educated. She had really had a talent for poetry, and she would write poetry about George Whitfield, about George Washington, um, about the Countess of Huntington. And her, her poetry is really beautiful and has a, a spiritual side side to it uh, and expressing her, her Christian faith and her love for the Lord. You know, I'm really upset, Diana, because we're running out of time. And you have so many women here that we're not going to get to that. It means I'll just have to go out and buy your book. And, and uh, learn, I guess they will. <laughs> learn about all of these. I want to ask you about a couple more. One is Elizabeth Fry. She was such an important person for prisoners, wasn't she? Yes, she was really important. And what she did in prisons was organize Bible studies, organize um, relief work for the the prisoners themselves to do, to make themselves feel worthwhile in, in their lives, and cleaning up the prisons, just purifying them, uh, good house clean, cleaning, but teaching the prisoners how to how to study the scriptures and how to lead each other in Bible studies and really transformed the prisons in, in England at that particular time. We're going to do three more uh, kind of quickly. Lottie Moon. Oh, Lottie Moon. Uh, she was a tremendous, important missionary in China, uh, a Baptist missionary. Amy Carmichael. And Amy Carmichael was tremendously important missionary in India, rescuing children who were captured to become temple prostitutes in some of the pagan ceremonies and establishing orphanages to care for the children there. And then a person who is a personal friend of mine and a great, great Christian woman, Johnny Erickson Tata. Tell us about Johnny. Oh, she is such an inspiration. What could you say about Johnny? <laughs> Who was injured in a diving accident mm-hmm. as a quadriplegic, but has such a faith in, in the Lord and has such a joy in the Lord. She, she, she just burst into song with her joy in Christ. Wonderful. Well, we're just about out of time, but thank you so much for doing this book. It's such a great uh, inspiration to read about these women, some very famous, some not so famous, and there's so many, many we didn't have time to get to, like Corey Ten Boom, Ruth Bell Graham, on and on and on. You just go with these great figures that, from whom we can learn a great deal about our own Christian life. And so would you say in general, make a general statement about why the study of women in Christian history is so important for all Christians today? One of the things I think the book as a whole, when looking at these different women, is to show that the Lord uses women, uses men, uses Christians, and whatever state He finds them, He has a purpose for them, He has a service for them to do, and through His strength and His wisdom, they are able to accomplish what seems utterly impossible to them on their own. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been Dr. Diana Lynn Severance. She is the director of the Dunham Bible Museum at Houston Baptist University in Texas. She holds the Ph.D. in history from Rice University, a wonderful scholar, teacher, leader among God's people. And thank you so much for your writing, your scholarship, and for this wonderful conversation today. Thank you very much.
You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.